hardly hearing from God. We're just kind of going through a book of the Bible. We're in 1 Corinthians. Sometimes you hear fancy words like, oh, that's an epistle. What? All that means is that's a letter. Paul started church in Corinth, leaves that city, starts other churches, and then he hears it's a big old dumpster fire back in Corinth. They're writing him letters. He's writing a letter back. That's what the letter of 1 Corinthians is. And in the letter they wrote him, they're asking him a bunch of specific questions. Hey, what do we do about this? And where we're at in the letter, he's just dealing with each of those specific questions. And the question we're dealing with now is going to cover all of chapter 8. Before you panic, it's only 13 verses, so hang in there. So you can, if you're reading in your own Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But as always, you can follow along as I read from the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, picking it up in verse 1. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there, are, have, there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords... Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist in one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled." Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And I know what you're thinking, and you're welcome. You're thinking, finally... I've been going to this church for a while. They're going to answer the million-dollar question with that keeps me up at night. Should I eat meat sacrificed to idols? I know it's been destroying you, right? Like, yeah, I'm worried are my kids going to turn out okay in the globe and war, but the one that really gets me, should I eat meat sacrificed to idols? I got you. Here's the deal. Obviously, man, in, the, in our context... We don't deal with this as much, and maybe you've never asked this question, but have you asked something like it? Should I, as a Christian, fill in the blank, don't say blank, right? We are constantly wrestling with this on a daily basis. Wait a minute, should I, as a Christian, I get this one all the time. 
Should I, as a Christian, I got invited to this wedding? Should I, as a Christian, go? Is it okay if I go? They asked me to read, but I'm not sure I agree, so should I go to that wedding? Maybe you got this one. Should I, as a Christian, wear a... I'm not going to do it. It's too soon. I'm not going there. Don't even say... Right? But we constantly dealing with questions. Man, can I shop at this place? I, I think I heard that company is corrupt. Should I shop there or should I work there? Man, there's shady stuff happening in my workplace. So is it okay for me to work there, but even if I don't participate in it? Maybe you've wrestled with this one. So the the team I root for that is an idol in my life just got a new quarterback. And so should I? Is it okay? Do I? But can I root the team, but not I don't gotta buy his jersey? Could I uh... We get this all the time. Can I shop there? Can I work there? What does it look like as a Christian in a fallen world? Can I do this on a daily basis? If you were raised fundamental Baptist, this is a long list. Like, can I go to the movies? Can I play cards? Can I dance? Can I gritty after I score a touchdown? There's so many things. Is it okay? And if you don't wrestle with those, something's wrong. Because as a Christian in a fallen world, these are happening all the time. So what can we learn from this passage? Again, if it's not difficult for you, if you never face this, something might be wrong. Because as Paul is discipling them about meat sacrificed to idols, you know what his answer is? And it's going to carry on throughout the book. It's yes, no, and maybe. He says, yeah, in this situation, yes. In this situation, no. In this situation, maybe. It depends on how it goes. Right? These questions we wrestle with don't always have easy answers. So we got to figure out what does it look like as a Christian in a fallen world to make wise choices. So as we wrestle with that, what can we learn from this passage? So I'm going to dive kind of back into the context a little bit. Let's understand a little bit more what's going on in Corinth. And that maybe helps us here today in modern day Cleveland, Canton, wherever you're from. See, what was going on here, right? This is the question at hand. Can I eat food offered to idols? And Paul is addressing, there's kind of two camps of people at the church that he's talking to. He begins, you see that word knowledge. There's this one camp that has knowledge. They know the, the Bible. They know the truth. They, know, they have good theology. They understand truth. And so that's one camp. And these guys, they're saying, I know the truth. There aren't really idols. There's no such thing as an idol. There's only one God, so those aren't really gods, and so it doesn't matter. I can go... Now, keep in mind, the temple was kind of the center of the community, so your kind of work parties would be there. I mean, you would always be kind of going to the temple, and it would serve as a banquet hall, and you knew there that those the meat being served was offered to an idol, so as a Christian, can I eat that in the... One camp with knowledge was saying it's fine. There's no such thing as an idol. Of course I can eat it. What's the problem? Let's move on. That was one kind of camp. Those with knowledge. But then there's the other camp. Some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol in their conscience being weak. And he talks about the weak brother. 
These kind of seem to just be kind of young Christians in their faith. They're watching these guys who know there's no such thing as an idol, and they're getting messed up. So they're thinking, wait a minute, here I am trying to be a Christian, but I guess I can worship idols too, because I see those mature believers who have knowledge eating a sacrifice. So I guess it's okay to worship idols. So it's messing them up. And then ultimately, what's happening? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. You're messing up their relationship with God. So you kind of wrap your head around that context of what's going on. It's interesting with these two factions of people, it's very clear who Paul's coming after. And interestingly enough, it's the camp that has good knowledge, that has good theology, that knows the truth that he's coming after. Kind of the new, kind of what he calls weak, kind of young, immature believer. He kind of lets them go. Which is fascinating. It's the camp that has knowledge, that has the truth that is in trouble. And so as you go to try to make wise decisions, one thing that really jumped out at me in this passage is, and I don't know that just knowledge, just knowing truth is enough. Here's kind of how it started to wrap my head around it. Knowledge in and of itself is good. Knowledge by itself is dangerous. Like, of course, knowledge, understanding truth, Good theology is good, and I would say necessary and important. It is good, but by itself, it, beco- it becomes dangerous. And here's what I mean. Here's what I mean that it's not just that it's bad. It's just that it shouldn't be alone. Because what did he pit, seemingly pit knowledge against? You know, knowledge puffs up, but begins with an L, ends in of. You can say it. Love. That's interesting. Are knowledge and love opposites? No. What's the opposite of knowledge? It would be ignorance. He's not saying, oh, knowledge is bad. Now go be ignorant. Man, understanding truth is good and necessary, but it needs to be harnessed. You need to add love to your knowledge. And let's just be honest. Historically, we as Christians have been horrible at this. Because we got the truth and we just wield it however we want. Because this is the truth and I'm for the truth and I'm bold with it and I don't care. And now this becomes a weapon to damage people. We need to be careful because it's the people with the truth. What did he say about improperly wielding the truth? What did he call it? You are, (laughs) starts with S, ends with N, right? You are sinning against your brother. And how often do we as Christians just do that? We are unbelievably for the truth. We want to handle it properly and not harm people with it in a sinful way. I think the church has been really bad at this historically. And I would almost just say individual Christians. Almost all of us kind of take that journey of kind of being arrogant in our knowledge and using it in a harmful way. I think some of you probably have met this new Christian. I want to show a picture of him. 
It's a bull in a china shop. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. How many new Christians? They learn the truth. And they just start cutting people down with it. They start winning arguments. Knowledge puffs up. They start using that to feel arrogant and to beat people down. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're cool. You're going to hell. I'm out. We can laugh, but don't act like we haven't met this Christian or we haven't been this Christian. To my shame, I remember going to India and asked to speak you know, to a, a company that was mostly Hindu. And I shared my knowledge, which was correct. I remember sitting down telling them, you don't, you don't worship a cup. A cup is created. This is something I created. Why would you worship a created thing? You just go worship other carved images. And I hammered down. <laughs> I remember Pastor Benny taking me aside and, and quoted this to me. Like, look, I understand what you're saying. There was truth there. But how about let's not use the truth to harm people and puff ourselves up and win arguments and sin against our brother for whom Christ died. So as we make these decisions, it's not to make people feel bad and puff ourselves up. Wisdom in and of itself is good. Wisdom by itself can become dangerous. I love even this picture, right? You see that bull has a harness, right? The truth is powerful. God's truth will set people free. Truth is like power, but it needs, you can see that, it needs harnessed. It needs bridled. What do we learn here? We need to harness the truth. The bridle is love. How many movies, right? You see this kind of like wild horse or this big bronco that no one can control him and everybody knows that power unbridled is dangerous. And then at some point, you know, they, they harness the power of that animal and it's a beautiful thing. I'm a city boy, so that illustration doesn't always hit me. I don't know if bronco is the right word. I think that's the right word for a horse. But I always think of... Think of the Avengers, right? The Hulk. That's more my speed. Right? The Hulk is raw power. And all throughout the Avengers, you've got to figure out, man, can the Hulk harness this power? So what is the goal as we try to figure out how do we make wise choices? i got to understand the truth and then harness it with love. So my hope is as a church, as Christians... We move just from knowledge, to use a, per, a word from Proverbs, to wisdom. What does it look like? If you want to make wise choices to have wisdom. To know the truth, but to know how to apply it. That's what was happening here. Paul says, yes, I know that you know that those idols aren't real. I know that. But how do you apply what you know? What does it look like for us as Christians to have wisdom, to understand applying the truth? This is my favorite 
definition of wisdom that we'll build on. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. <laughs> That's brilliant. Right? That's true. Okay, but what do you do with that truth? Don't put it in a fruit salad. Right? Technically, that is true, but how do you kind of apply that truth is the question. What is the harness and harnessing of the power of truth? And Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Kind of here's the running definition I see from that passage of wisdom. Wielding the truth with love. You see this biblically. Harnessing truth with love. That's wisdom. And that's what I hope we can grow in as Christians. As we wrestle with, man, should I as a Christian do this? What does that look like? So can we spend the rest of the time looking at the wisdom that Paul lays out? Because how do you know the difference if I'm just sitting in knowledge that puffs up? We're experiencing wisdom. And I think there's a couple principles Paul is pushing the Corinthians to. So first, let me be dead clear. Wisdom, you still protect the truth. This can be tricky, right? So some people that don't like to offend people, when they heard me say, I want you to be loving, they said, good, now I never have to offend anybody. I can just go to the wedding. It doesn't matter what I do. Hey, believe what you want. I don't want to offend you. I want to be loving. That is not what I'm saying. Think of the situation here. He didn't say, hey, they think there's idols. Just let them believe there's idols. What he is saying is, you abusing your knowledge is making them think there are idols. You're affirming something, accidentally affirming something to them that isn't true. So when I say, man, wisdom is wielding truth with love, it does not mean there's no truth. I want to be loving so I don't want to offend you. There's a fine line of using wisdom. Wisdom is not condoning something that isn't true. To be loving, you always pair love and truth. It is wildly unloving to affirm untruth in somebody's life. So when I say wisdom is wielding truth and love, never condone something that isn't true. So you don't condone it, but that was why there is tension. But you don't just use the truth to condemn and beat people up. And so how do you protect the truth? In between this cliff of condoning something that is false and just condemning somebody, there's this middle way of wisdom, of compassionately administering the truth. So hear me loud and clear. When we use wisdom, we still protect the truth. In this passage, as he's telling them to apply and how to use wisdom here, listen to this. He says, there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. He's not saying let them believe whatever they want. He's saying this is the truth. Recently, I was in a discussion, somebody saying that. We were encouraging our people, man, here's how to use wisdom and meet people where they're at. And somebody came to me and kind of said, I think you're watering down the gospel. 
Oh, you're watering down truth to make people happy. I promise you, that is not our approach. You hear the clear, we believe in truth. I believe, we believe at this church that this is true. I'm not, never back down from anything the Bible says is true, but administer it. Wield that truth with love. So still protect the truth as you're navigating. Should I go? Okay, am I condoning something that isn't true? Second, as you're wrestling through this, I want you to have a posture of love. Should I do this? Should I go here? Should I shop here? Should I work here? Should I go to that work party where I know what it's going to be like as a Christian? Can I go be a part of that party? I want you to have a posture of love. Here was a big problem. The people that knew and had the truth, they were using it to get to their preference. I want to go to that, so how do I use this to get my preference? That is not what Paul is advocating. As you decide, what should I do here? I implore you, try not to move until you're motivated by love. If you're fighting for your preference, I don't think you're using biblical wisdom. You're just abusing this to get your way. I want you to think, okay, what is best for them? What did Paul say? The issue is eating meat. He says, if it will make them stumble, I'll never eat meat again. Paul said, I want you to have zero concern for your personal preference. I don't care as believers what your personal preference is. That's not how we make decisions as believers. We don't do what we want to do, what makes us feel most comfortable. We do what is loving. <laughs> he said, I'll never eat meat again. That's a big ass for a man. We, at our men's conference, we ordered enough bacon for 250 men. I kid you not. 50 guys in, it was gone. I saw the panic on Shayna's face. She's like, we got a problem. I kid you not, the dude's coming through. It was like the claw game with bacon. They were like, cow. I mean, it was, it was wild. <laughs> I'm kidding. We ran out of, then the sausage was gone. I love me some meat. But, I don't care. It doesn't matter what I want. As you're deciphering this, do you have a posture of love? Are you motivated by your preference? Are you motivated by loving? If you're using this to get your preference, you better check up. Am I really using wisdom? Am I just trying to get what I want? I don't care what your preference is. I don't care what makes you most comfortable. That's not biblical wisdom. Last, have a priority of the gospel. That was Paul's priority. How is your decisions going to impact their relationship with God? That's what Paul cared about. So as you're wrestling through these different questions, I was just sitting out in the atrium the other day. A parent was like, man, my kid's doing this. Like, what can I do? Can I make these guidelines for them? I, don't, I, I need wisdom here. It's difficult and it's uncomfortable. Paul says, look, you, you may have to do something difficult and uncomfortable, but what is the goal? Paul's goal, the question I want you to wrestle with is what is going to be most beneficial to their relationship with God through Christ? That's his priority. 
Because the fear was that be a stumbling block in what? The relationship with God. That was ultimately his priority, the gospel. How many times our goal, again, you feel that tension. Your goal isn't people-pleasing. When I say be loving, it's not people-pleasing. The goal isn't what's going to be least offensive. I mean, Paul is trying to cater to young believers, not every judgmental person in the world. Let's be clear on this passage as well. But it's not people-pleasing. Listen, Paul is offending people in this story. He's just deciding biblical wisdom, who's the best people to offend? Paul said, yeah, don't go to that party. Guess what? The people that invited them to that party are going to be offended. So if your goal is, I don't want to upset anybody, it's hard to operate in biblical wisdom. Because biblical wisdom, the goal is the gospel and people's relationship with God. Paul says the gospel's offensive. This is something we say here. Look, (laughs) I don't mind if people get offended. I just want them to get offended at the right thing. If you're offended because of somebody's arrogance, that's on them. If you're offended because of God's truth clearly communicated, that's between you and God. My goal can't be people-pleasing. And how often my goal is, how do I make everybody happy? Because that's what love is, it's people-pleasing. No. The goal is prior to the gospel and helping people in their relationship with God. It's not people-pleasing. It's not personal preference. It's a priority of. I want you to know who God is. And I'll do what needs done even if it inconveniences me so that you won't have a stumbling block to connect with God. (laughs) I get in these discussions a lot. What should I do? Pastor, should I go here or not? And and oftentimes, it usually gets to the point where we're like, just tell me what to do. And I'm like, that's not what I do. (laughs) Like, why are we talking like this? See, none of these tell you exactly what to do in these situations. There's principles. It's a posture. But here is interesting. You have a priority of the gospel. The gospel has got to be your, your priority for wisdom, but it's also your source of wisdom. This is fascinating. Did you catch this early in the passage? If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And I love that. So how many of you again Christians, oh, I know, I know the truth. And if you're arrogantly holding the truth, he's like, you're not as smart as you think you are. But this is interesting. But if, he know, but if anyone loves God, what do you think he should say? We're talking about who has knowledge. It's those that love God. He, that's not what it said. He's known by God. As I look for wisdom, it's not, okay, now I, I have God, so now I have knowledge. No, you don't. You have a relationship with God. God has wisdom. God has knowledge. So ultimately, as you're deciding these things, it's mostly I want you to get in the right posture, understand, okay, what are the biblical principles? Do I have a posture of love? Am I motivated by that? Am I protecting the truth? Is my priority the gospel? And then, you got one more job. Pray. It's hard. These decisions are hard. But the beauty is, if you get yourself in the right posture and understand, 
to steal from the Proverbs again. You know, the beginning of knowledge, beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you're in the right posture and then you pray, let me give you a beautiful promise from God. This is one of my most treasured promises. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generous, generously to all without reproach. And this is a promise, church. It will be given. All right? So, it's hard as a Christian trying to figure out in this fallen world, how do I honor him? I don't know. This is confusing. And it is confusing and it's complex. But you put yourself, but God, I'm holding on to your truth. I want what's best for them. And I don't know how to do that. But I want what's best for them and their relationship with God. Please, give me wisdom, and he will. And it may be a harder thing. Maybe you write a letter, then you go. Maybe you don't say anything because they know the truth. I don't know what it is. But I know he will give it. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I ask, God, for your grace for us, as we try to live and minister in this fallen world. God, and I, we confess, I don't always know what to do. I don't always know how to honor you. But Father, would you guide us? Help us to cling to your truth. To not be chasing our personal preferences, not be just trying to please people, but to be in a posture of love. Motivated with the priority of the gospel. And God, I thank you for this promise that as we wrestle through these things, that you will give wisdom and you will give it generously. That you will guide us to wield your truth and love. We thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen.